The reason I want to be a Formula One driver is because it's got a lot of speed in it. Um, when I went to Belgium and I saw the, the actual speed that they were doing, it was amazing because you don't actually think about it when you're watching the TV. And my car feels really powerful when I'm in it. But imagine being in the Formula One car. Must be very powerful, that. He's so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Why does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Guaranteed to be a bigger improvement than Sonic the Hedgehog's second trailer, welcome back to Motorsport 101. No, seriously, how did they get it so badly wrong the first time? Anyway, hey everybody, I'm Andre Harrison. Welcome to episode 221. I'm your friendly neighbour host, Mr. Andre Harrison. And uh, I said my name twice already, that's never a good sign. That's already really obnoxious, my bad. <laughs> we'll keep that in. <laughs> add, that one to the, add that one to the end of the blooper reel. It's already quite extensive. Yeah, um, <laughs> the Hideo Kojima game of podcasts. The, the 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 walking simulator of podcasts um yeah fun times for all involved seven out of ten ign would walk faster um right <laughs> now this is an interesting week because well for the series we largely cover on this show um last week was a great big old nothing burger um, the MotoGP flyaways are over. We have just one round to go this weekend, the season finale at Valencia, which we'll get into a little bit more in the news section. Um, Formula One obviously is on their little break. Um, they'll be on, obviously, they'll be back for Interlagos this weekend. Uh, so, you know, fun times at uh, what Kevin Madison calls a go kart track. Fun times. And we have some other quite hectic street race. Now we've added DRS. It's Macau. Oh boy. <laughs> Why? Who approved this? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong after last year? Anywho, we'll get into all of that in the news section, but we thought, and to be fair, it's not really a we. I have to give full credit to Patrick Hofstetter. It was their idea. Um, you know, they're a big fan of the show. And uh, he, they gave me a great idea. Their idea was... Why don't you do a Lewis Hamilton special this week? And I was like, well, <laughs> given the man's never out of the news for long, and given the Yaz just won his sixth world title, and we like to strike while the iron is hot on this show, we thought, why not? And we've got four of us here for it to break it all down. As usual, you have Mr. Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir. Hello. Getting, getting uh, my Macau supplies ready, because ah, uh, going to stay up late and watch... <laughs> fucking Formula 3 cars get to 180 miles an hour. He brought his whole can of rich energy. He's got snacks. He's got extra blankets. He's ready to go. He's, he's, he's got the full uh, crib style setup going on here. Um, all, all he needs now is some Doritos and Mountain Dew. He'll fit right in. Attaboy. Also, gotta get, gotta get the alcohol in now because, you know, Saudi Arabia's next weekend. Can't do it for that weekend. <laughs> Strong, strong vibes indeed. RJ O'Connell, hello, sir. 
Hi, if I've learned anything from professional wrestling, especially in these last couple of days, is that there is no such thing as a burned bridge, and if I ever get fired from this show, I can always come back in five years' time to just do a studio show once a week and collect a fat check for doing absolutely no effort. It's great! I feel... <laughs> I feel way to stick it to the man. I, 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 I applaud you for it. I, I really do. It's like, hey... What if you don't have to? Why like why not join the WWE but not wrestle and collect a fat check while pretending to watch the product? Is he, he's a genius. <laughs> Way to go, Phil. Way to go, <laughs> you smart man. <laughs> and of course, WWE can take all the glory for him being a Fox employee. Gotta love it. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, technically, not working for us, not a rib. Actually, he's on our television program, but he's not our employee. Wait, I mean independent contractor. You know what that Mm. means? You could have him crashing the set of Undisputed. Oh, my God. Skimp. Skimp. Has anyone got Punk a spare bottle of Hennessy? Just asking for a friend? No? (laughs) Maybe not. And in the background again as well, Mr. Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Still sharpening my axe to take over to the ACO headquarters. What else is new? You've been doing that for like 14 episodes now. No, oh, but the four like, hours of Shanghai. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> oh. It was certainly a race. It certainly was a thing. You know, you know what this is. If like, if our show was somehow like a crossover with Brooklyn Nine Nine, Cam would be Rosa Diaz in the first series where she goes, "What kind of woman doesn't need an axe?" <laughs> that's that's Cam in a nutshell. It's great. Yeah, oh, I can't dear. even. I can't even take solace in a Porsche One Two. Thanks, Ferrari. More on that later. More on that later, indeed. But yeah, we got a full box in front of us here, and we will talk a little Lewis Hamilton for the first half of this show. It's going to be probably a little bit shorter than usual. I say probably very loosely, given our tendency on this show. So this show could easily go four hours long. Yeah, yeah we're going. Um, when we say that the show is going to be shorter, it means it's actually going to be double the length. And when we Pretty say much. the show is going to run long, it actually gets in under two hours. <laughs> of course! And that's before I make creative edits. Totally makes sense. King, you got um, any of those rich energy cans? Just asking for a friend. No, nah, but I know a guy. Mm. Mm. Sounds he, does, he doesn't have a beard. He doesn't have a beard. Got any more of that <laughs> Nissan swag on clearance? They need the money. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, you can buy their GTR Le Mans car for about 14 bucks and a can of Mountain Dew. It's great. Mm. Let's do it. Just, ha- just hang. We, we gotta check the M101 Patreon account for this. I want to hang that shit on my ceiling. <laughs> no, no, we're not buying the Nissan GTR before we're buying the Hatsune Miku Mercedes because that's no, on sale. No, now. priorities, RJ. Priorities. I want I the have GTR my priorities on my in order. <laughs> I already put the first down payment on the Life L190. For God's sake! See, the man gets in, he gets all comfortable. And he, who gave him access to the bank account? <laughs> sure as hell wasn't me. I, I may have lied and told King that I was going to inject Nissan with some cash. No, he's told me it was Aston Martin, goddammit. They don't deserve uh. it. <laughs> King, you will not get your Chadwick Lamar fantasy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> places you can find us real quick. 
Um, interrupting very briefly. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our personal handles and try not to butcher our usernames like RJ did last week, we're at Harrison101HD. We're at RJ O'Connell. Then we are at, uh, at Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. And we're at Cam Buckley917. Just yank out the vowels. C the Buckley917. <laughs> you butchered my username, anyways. <laughs> Close enough. We have an intelligent audience. They'll figure it out. Um. And of course, if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to all of our episodes, at least the day before they go out. And if you really, really like us some more, you can back us at a $10 level and you can get into the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they go out and interact with us. As it happens, it really is the best way to interact with the show. And shout out to Oliver Wang, who upped himself to be in a $10 backer this month. Thanks, Much appreciated, sir. You can now listen to these shows live as they go out. Enjoy, my friend. Enjoy. Even if you're not here tonight. <laughs> time differences and all that. It's not fun. Shout out to Vince, to James. Time, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I really didn't realise that. My bad. Still isn't here, though. <laughs> but shout out to Vince, to James, to Vic, and to Henry as well for listening in. Much appreciated. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Um, shout out to all our Aussie brothers dealing with the horrible bushfires out there as well. Um, I mentioned that because James is in here. I have to be nice because everybody else has been making jokes about it. See, I, I whoa, have to balance- whoa. We did not make any jokes. It was in an unintended, unintended reference. Unintended... So full of shit, King. (laughs) I'm trying to bring balance to the force here, okay? (laughs) And again, you can find all of those details and much more on our website, motorsport101.com, where I have been writing a lot. Um, See, turns out one of my good friends, Ali Herker, challenged me to write 10,000 words of content on the blog in the month of November. I'm just about halfway, amazingly. Um, and I've got three written articles up there right now in the last couple of weeks you can read if you want. There is a new Dre versus Dre talking about James Hinchcliffe and the mayor, shall we say, leaving office. Um, there is also the most popular blog I've put up in 2019. So thank you all very much for sharing this one out. So Hamilton 6 Appeal, where I talk about Hamilton, the six-time world champion, in great detail. It, it, was, it was really fun to write that one, actually, and it, it, uh, it got a lot of traction on the old interweb. So thank you, everybody, for those that have been sharing that out there. In, in particular, Hazel and Conrad as well. You guys are the best. Thank you. I do really, really appreciate it. And a new post I put up today, November 13th, if you're um, by the time... Obviously, you this will obviously be out by the time you guys listen to it, but I've released it literally about three hours ago. It is a massive Ask Me Anything. It's over 2,000 words long where I get asked all sorts of entertaining questions about motorsport and not about motorsport, such as my dream series. Who in the 2020 grid is going to stand out? Is anybody a threat to Mark Marquez? Short answer, probably not. Um, <laughs> Good joke. Yeah. Um, who's X, who F1's next cult hero is going to be? Spoiler alert, it's Lando Norris. Come on, stop being so silly. And what my favourite dinosaur is. 
No, seriously. That alone is worth the price of admission. So, if you haven't checked that out already, please go do so. Motorsport101.com forward slash bog. It is all in there. There is more to come soon, including a full MotoGP season review out next week. So, that'll be fun. You know, basically, it'll be ten words long. Mark Marquez runs over opposition. Thanks for reading. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> So check that out when it goes live next week. But yeah, thanks to everyone that's been reading all of that fun stuff over the month of November. It's been really fun to get back into the old right side of things. Somebody please hire me so I can get out of the bookies. Much appreciated. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, thanks everyone that's been checking that out. Now, we'll get the quick musical interlude out of the way. When we're back, we'll be talking all about Lewis Hamilton in this Lewis Hamilton Special Edition. Any Sebastian Vettel fan, you've had your chance. Listen and look away now. <laughs> Break out the six-packs, baby. It's nice to be down here at McLaren with a British winner and a significant British winner. Congratulations to Lewis Hamilton, who's such a wonderful prospect in British motorsport. Hey, Lewis, you're coming through the ranks now. Everything you've done, from karting all the way up, you've won in every formula. It very much looks like you're going to win this GP2 season if you continue at the pace. But in your eyes now, you know that you've got an association with McLaren, but where do you really think you can go from here? Is it truthfully into a McLaren car, or is it somewhere else down the Formula 1 pit lane? I think anything's possible. As you know, there's uh, possibly a seat available at McLaren, but um, that would be a dream to go into to the second McLaren seat. But I think uh, and my aim at the moment, again, is to, to win the GP2 title, but then we just have to wait and see. I, I, I don't expect to, to jump straight into a McLaren. Um, I would have thought I would go into one of the lower teams. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see. So a new young British star possibly heading towards Formula One. It's just what the sport needs. Welcome, kids, to what we call the Lewis Hamilton Special Edition because we wanted to go a little bit deeper into our new six-time world champion. Pause. Um, <laughs> and uh, this, I thought this would be a fun one. We've got a few bullet points to gloss over. This is going to be pretty much off the cuff because it's going to be a fun time for all involved. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of perspectives. There's a lot of different angles to look at Lewis. And well, let's be real here. He is such a freak in the context of, of modern day F1 on and off the track that, it, you know, it is. You, you could write thousands and thousands of words about this. I can't wait for someone else to write their own biography. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, because Does anybody else got Hamilton's original book, My Story from 2007? I do. No. It was, it was bought for me as a Christmas present, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, I ended up... That does... Like long-standing confession, we may, we as a family may or may not have rooted for Lewis Hamilton when he was like 22 and making his debut. You know, he black. Most people yeah. did. I did. I have uh, I have the 20 yeah the 2018 season review from Lequip on my on my shelf with that I got when I went to France in 2009. <laughs> I remember just hearing about Lewis Hamilton because obviously at this time, you know, he was breaking in, obviously didn't get a chance to watch GP2 series regularly. It's not as accessible as its successor Formula 2 is now. And even then, most people just knew Lewis Hamilton. If you were in engaged, it's like, hold on, McLaren hired this rookie. He's the first black British driver in the sport, and he could be pretty good. This McLaren team looks all right. As it turns out, well in exceeded expectations <laughs> in his first year. Yeah, like, it's it's scary looking back on it now that, uh, like, the first public appearance many people may not have even realised if Lewis Hamilton was on Blue Peter when he was 10 years old. Um, you know, Blue Peter is one of the most iconic you know, British kids' television programmes that's been on TV for 
better part of 50 plus years and he was on there as a 10 year old you know being hailed as the next British you know Formula 1 world champion and he'd been you know been scouted by Ron Dennis and not like little did we know the the monster that we were about to create back then but uh like you didn't think much of it until you know ITV started sticking him on their coverage right around 2005 when i think he was about 20 and uh right. and uh you know he, he was again still being held as the, as the next big thing he was about to make his uh, GP2 debut and whatnot back then right he just uh, put the hurting on the Formula 3 European Series, uh, nearly outscoring runner-up Adrian Sutil by a, by a margin of two points to one. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty good. And then, yeah, he, he walked into GP2 and uh, crushed everybody's soul in GP2 as well, for that matter. Yeah, um, can anybody remember that pass at Donington? God. Oh. God, could... Can you can you remember though the fact that like yeah nobody remembers that like Nelson Piquet Jr. almost made it more interesting and boy how diver how divergent their careers went Indeed. Hamilton becomes a record setting champion Piquet has one and a half terrible seasons and is out of the sport thanks in large part to say, his uh, blowing the whistle on Crashgate Nelson Piquet Jr. did make things more interesting that one time <laughs> yeah yeah he did just not in the ways you were all hoping for um, or expected. Yeah, my bad. It was Silverstone, by the way, not Donington. Like, my like, it's. I'm watching it right now because Henry put it in our Discord server, and uh, they're going free wide into Maggots and Beckett's, and it's just like I have bigger balls than the pair of you put together. Um, that's incredible. It, it's ridiculous. PK Junior got basically got inadvertently, accidentally, but very like very deliberately yeeted. <laughs> Into some polystyrene, and it was glorious. It was like it was like literally an episode of Wipeout had taken place with a GP2 race put in there for good measure. And again, the best scene is his dad with the finger with the finger flick at the end. Like every black guy watching that clip at that point in time was doing the exact same thing. Trust me, I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and again, like again, Henry's putting out some great shit here on our Discord. He talked, yeah, he's put the video in here as well, where he comes back in Istanbul from last to second. Hamilton was ridiculous. Like we all knew it was going to be a matter of, you know, when rather than if he he'd make it to F one. And of course, uh, you know, rookie won the GP two title, won it by twelve points over said Nelson PK Junior. We mentioned earlier, and uh, joined some team called McLaren. You know. That, that that team, that 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 minor team, <laughs> that minor team that had just signed the two-time and reigning world champion a year in advance, uh, were bouncing back from a terrible 2006 season by their standards. Um, expected to be title favorites. I think people expected Hamilton to be very good in his rookie season because of it, but I don't think anybody expected him to be to be this good because. Uh, he, in that whole season, he only had two races where he didn't score points. The fateful race in China, the penultimate round of the season, and the European Grand Prix where he crashed in qualifying and picked up a puncture early in the race and could only finish ninth. That was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man, that, that rookie season was something else. I remember, like, he he goes on the podium in his very first race at Melbourne, and 
we all lost our minds. Like everyone, every British guy that was watching that first race in Australia, who had got up at I think it was six in the morning British time to to go watch that race, we were like, "Oh my god, the future is now!" Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> it's happening! <laughs> the hype was real, and it was amazing, especially given that we'd we'd have to wait five rounds till Canada um, before obviously he actually got that first win, and then. You know, led the. Cha- it was. He was for a while. He was the. I think he was the youngest man to ever lead the world championship. Um, obviously before winning. Yes. He yeah. Was. And again, as mentioned, nine like it's like it's like nine podiums in a row to start his F one career. I mean, don't get me wrong. We all know McLaren was a blunderbuss back then. It was a very very uh, strong car for um, totally legal reasons. <laughs> yeah. T- yeah. Um, yes, <clears throat> it was a totally legal blunderbuss. <clears throat> But so I don't think that should take away how spectacular Lewis Hamilton was in his rookie season. Again, being paired with a two-time world champion in the prime of his career, and they drew level on points by the end of the season. Hamilton won four races and scored 12 podiums that season. He had six pole positions. If any rookie was ever going to win the championship on their debut, I would say Lewis Hamilton had the best shot at it, and he only missed it by a point. Yeah, he was he was virtually bulletproof the first half of the season, and well, it's hard not to talk about 2007 without talking about that bunker in Shanghai. You know the one. Yeah, and I don't think that his race unraveling in Brazil certainly helped things, because again, he still held a considerable championship lead going into that race, but... Yeah, 17-point um, lead with 20 to play for. With, with two races left. Yeah. And it all just evaporated. It's like the only way he couldn't have won the title going into Shanghai was if Kimi Raikkonen won the last two and then Hamilton had a disastrous end of the year. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And keep in mind, Raikkonen basically didn't finish off the podium in the second half of the year. Yeah, he had one DNF. It took an absurd yeah. run from Kimi Raikkonen and Ferrari yeah, it, to take that title from Lewis and McLaren. People don't talk about just how good Kimi Raikkonen's 07 was. It's one of those seasons that's kind of been lost in the in the archives, but Kimi Raikkonen was super good. That was, remember, that was his first year at Ferrari as well, you know, like... I think yeah. A lot of people like to look at those two races at the end where McLaren lost it, but keep in mind, Raikkonen retired from pole and a podium earlier in the year, and those were his only two retirements all year. Yeah. And both both the car's fault. Yeah. Both uh, reliability problems. Yeah. Hamilton's first half of the year was basically Raikkonen's second half of the year. He was on the podium for the, all of the last seven rounds, including winning three of the last four to steal the world title by a point in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Mental and like this was only Hamilton's like second most dramatic title finale. <laughs> oh right. no! We get we get to the following season, which is already it started off interesting because uh, Alonso has removed himself from the picture. Spanish fans are mad, and because uh, and because they are so well behaved and well cultured and very culturally sensitive, um, they did things that are utterly disgusting in preseason testing, directing at Lewis Hamilton who then won the first race of the season, and then Raikkonen fell out of the title picture from Monaco onward, and then engaged in a dogfight with Felipe Massa that went all 18 rounds. Though, it should be noted, especially with more recent events in international football, that the FIA threatened to cancel the Spanish Grand Prix due to what happened in preseason testing. 
Ooh boy. Which is what you should do. Yeah, that was. You don't put up with that shit. Now, why can't football take a page out of that book? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Sorry, we're gonna we're gonna have this race under closed doors instead. (laughs) Give the track a small fine. You know that that, that'll make the problem go away. No, we're gonna take your whole Grand Prix away. How does that feel? (laughs) Yep. Like, I actually applaud the FIA for having some gumption. (laughs) Amazing. This this will become. This is obviously a thing that's been prevalent throughout Hamilton's career and something we'll touch on later in this in this segment, of course. Hamilton's 08 season was not necessarily easy. Had the had the front wing come off in Bahrain, had the pit lane incident in Canada, had his exhaust pipe fall off in France, uh, probably should have won the Belgian Grand Prix, mm. uh, and got into it with Massa in Japan. Those were his only non-scoring finishes. Meanwhile, Felipe Massa was having the breakout season that I think everybody was all hoping he was going to have at, at some point. Yeah. And, you know, won seven races that season. It was by a mile his best year in F1. And it, it was a weird thing where it seemed like all of Massa's bad luck pretty much got dogpiled in the second half of the year where, you know, it's there, there's a few obvious ones that stick out. The, the engine catching, the engine blowing up in Hungary, I think of about four laps to go. Um, yeah, he started the season off in the hole, too, because he had the back-to-back retirements in Australia Malaysia. Mm. Battled back through all of that. Uh, and then, of course, two races prior to Hungary. Um, the side of, and sorry to jump the gun here, probably Hamilton's still his finest victory. The British Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> right, took everybody's soul. Yeah, yeah. Where people, t- people tend to forget it was Hamilton and Raikkonen beating the shit out of each other until Ferrari left Raikkonen on dries, I believe. Yeah, they put him on dry tires on a wet track, and also we learned that Felipe Massa did not have the Senegene of Brazilian drivers being excellent in the wet. How many times did he spin? <laughs> Too many. About 14, I've lost Too all my checks. <laughs> Apparently it's four, but I, I clearly forgot to carry the one. Um, but, uh, yeah, Hamilton owned everybody's Four too soul, many. Um, on that one. Also, it said that Massa spun off three times at the same quarter. <laughs> at Loughfield. <laughs> Uh, to, to put his beat that into perspective, like I don't know how high up the scale this would go, but uh, he won that race by 68 seconds. He won that race by 68 seconds, oh. and only three cars finished on the lead lap. Damn it! If only he could have pulled out another second. <sighs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that still today remains one of his finest victories. Is it still one of his best? Oh yeah. Even after like 14 consecutive winning seasons. Um. Yeah, I give it top five. It's in the top three, I'd argue. Like that—that that, that was a beat him super ultra monster kill. Um, beat him down on the grand scheme of things. Like that was an unholy clobbering from Hamilton that day. Um, to say the least. And it—it it, it was the real sign that yeah, it's it's going to be Hamilton's title to lose. But Felipe. God bless him, made it difficult for him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. like, like I said, we mentioned Hungary, you mentioned the engine blowing up right at the end of the race. We haven't even mentioned Singapore, where uh, the, the pit crew went wrong and they left the fuel hose in the car um, during a pit stop, and that knocked Massa out of the points and made him fall to 13th. Um, no points on that one. And that was during that safety car. You know the one. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. 
two races after Manny Hamilton fans felt that the FIA had given Massa a win that he didn't deserve by giving Hamilton an over-the-top time penalty for uh, for passing off track in Belgium. That was a spicy one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, this was back in the days where you didn't have the internet so much when it came to F1 coverage, and you didn't like, you you didn't have like an like an on tap news source like we do now with social media and the internet. So like I had no idea that race result had changed until I'd watched the Italian Grand Prix a couple of weeks later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that, that was that was like what the hell happened, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and then yeah, that was also a good weekend for um, other reasons. Hi, Sebastian. Um, <laughs> Born him when he gets another special at some point. Um, but uh, it all went down to the season finale in Brazil. And, uh, well, <laughs> the catchphrase we now all know and love. Yeah, the guy who was not on good terms with Hamilton, so there was no chance of collusion, by the way, going into this. Oh, no. Um, it was a very interesting race because um, Massa... You you go back and watch this race. This is kind, this race is not the race on the whole is not as exciting as of course the finish. Uh, Massa controlled it, most of that race. It's like a six out of ten race with the "Are you fucking kidding me?" out of ten finish. Pretty much <laughs> right because right because Hamilton was doing all that he needed to do for most of that race. He was in the position that he needed to until. They had to go change tires because it starts raining again, and all of a sudden, the guy who dominates in the wet in Britain can barely keep Sebastian Vettel behind him, gets past, trying to let a lap car go through, and then can't catch up to Vettel. It's a wild one. It's it's a great it's a great finish, and and you know, I think back to like if Hamilton didn't win that championship, and when you consider how the next five years of his career would go, mm. how differently do we look back on when Hamilton inevitably breaks through with that first title with Mercedes it would be a very interesting we, we, we'd be looking at his career in a very different context it would be it would be Mansell-esque yeah we, yeah. we look at it very differently I mean to talk about 2008 Brazil 2008 like for me the greatest closing shot of a Grand Prix I think of all time I like, like honestly like, you don't have to be an F1 fan to have it resonate with you. If anyone's ever seen the end of that race, you'll know exactly what I'm about to say here. But the finish. Felipe Massa wins the race pretty comfortably in the end. Massa crosses the line. He's won. He thinks he's won the world title. Ferrari thinks he's won the world title. The pit crew loses their goddamn minds. Uh, like, they think, yeah, we've got it, we've got it. Massa is world champion for about nine seconds. And, like, I don't know if anyone's ever spotted this, but I think his dad, Felipe's dad, was the first to notice the timing screen. He was. And you can see, like, the look of horror on his face when he's realised Hamilton's now running fifth. The one extra point it would have taken to win the world title... This, the, the Ferrari pit crew suddenly stops celebrating. One of them famously think, punches the wall. At what- <laughs> yes, and the oh, sign yes. comes down. And the sign comes down, which is just, you know, hilarious. And then they cut to the McLaren garage with Nicole Scherzinger leading the charge. Obviously, his new high-profile girlfriend. And the McLaren pit crew have absolutely lost their shit. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's powerful. It's chilling. 
we've all been there as sports fans, and it is one of the most incredible, like, sporting spectacles you will ever wish to see. It, like, in 15 seconds, you've got everything in Formula 1 in a nutshell. You know, you've got a dramatic finish, a, a world championship going back and forth. You've got, you know, the emotions, the conflicting emotions of it all. With two pit crews going berserk, and then Lewis Hamilton fight, like, winning that world title to to send British hearts completely aloof. Um, you know. Yeah, do you imagine how rare it is that we even have championships that go down the final race of the season, let alone the final corner of the final lap? Yeah, we haven't had yeah. one since 2016 now. Yeah, and even then, it wasn't a, a last lap, last corner decided race. And as Henry points out in the Discord... Yeah, it was out of Lewis's hands. Yeah, it, Lewis it was out of his hands until the final corner. And literally, the final corner is that Glock. That call from James Allen will be immortalized in F1 history. And because F1 was on free-to-air TV in the UK back then with ITV, as Henry points out... It was the most watched Formula One race in the history of British television. 13 million people watched an F1 race in this country. Basically one in four. Every fourth TV set in this country was watching that season finale. I guarantee... And it kind of helped that it was on prime time on a Sunday yeah, night. Yeah, prime time, because Brazil always runs late. So Brazil, you know, prime time, Sunday night, roast dinner in front of you. You know, prime time, Sunday night TV. Lewis Hamilton won world title in front of 13 million British viewers. This will never be topped. Ever. <laughs> because there is no way F1 is going to be free to wear on a prime time main five channel TV anytime soon, in my humble opinion. And, and even then, the audience, I don't think, is what it was back then. But uh, mm-hmm. 13 million people watched that season finale and watched Lewis Hamilton become, at the time, the youngest ever Formula One world champion at just 23. Um, a record that would stand for a sizzling grand total of two whole years. Um, and as, R- as yeah. RJ alluded to, like the next chapter was kind of patchy in the sense of he, he, he stuck with McLaren until the end of 2000 and, and 2000, end of 2012, and there were, of course there was still the occasional race win. But Hamilton was never really a title, like a major title threat again. There was a couple of flashes. There was 2010, but he was always kind yes. of on the outside looking in, you know. And of course, 2012 it was a year where he, I think he could have been a contender, but the reliability of the very fast 2012 McLaren is what ultimately let Hamilton down. He lost 75 points from race leading positions at the end of the year. You know, a hydraulic failure um, in in Singapore that season. I remember they was well in that. Yeah, I think Singapore, and we didn't know it at the time, is maybe the biggest turning point. In modern F1 history, because that was the mechanical failure that convinced him to walk from McLaren. Because at, at, at the time, Nicky Lauda was talking to him about a switch to Mercedes. Nicky Lauda had basically said, hey, Lewis, come to Mercedes. You know, it might be a bit rough first year, but once the new regulations kick in, we reckon we've got something here. <laughs> and little yeah. did we... like. This was one of the biggest re-signings ever in F1. It, the, the money was the same. Like Hamilton said himself, it, they were both offering the same financially. It was a £100 million contract we're talking here. And the other choice, it was it was stay with McLaren or go to Mercedes. And as, as a lot of people now know, that retirement 
in Singapore, the, hyd- the hydraulic failure that put him out of the race from the lead with Sebastian Vettel right behind him in a fight for the lead. Uh, that failure, which gave Sebastian the win um, and was the basically like the rocket fuel that propelled Vettel to his third title. But yeah, because yeah, by now, Sebastian Vettel, that, that upstart kid from Germany that won that race in Italy that one time, is now a triple world champion um, by this point. I want to go back to that 2010 season because mm. that was that was a fight that Hamilton was still in contention all the way to the very end of the season. And there were points where he led the championship, starting with his second win of the year in Canada, a race that friend of the show, Stuart Chain Bear, has broken down on his YouTube channel as a race that ultimately did influence Formula One strategies and how they make tires as we know it for the next decade. That started a run where Hamilton was leading the championship until he retired at Hungary. He took the lead back with a win in Belgium, and then with a collision in the opening laps of the Italian Grand Prix, back-to-back retirements, and he never got back into the championship lead. With the McLaren with the rev- with the revolutionary F-duct system. Mm. 2009 was a bit of a write-off because the car wasn't there in the first half of the season. He'd come back to win two races later that year. 2011, first year of the Pirellis, Hamilton infamously struggled with those and also to keep himself away from Felipe Massa and then of course 2012 arguably had the quickest car but uh, all culminating with that Singapore retirement it just wasn't to be big god I like like yeah yeah he had, as Henry points out, he had the Nicole Scherzinger breakup as well and that was his long-term girlfriend for I think six plus years and um, well, at least at least five years plus, and Hamilton genuinely—you you could see by watching him in paddocks and in press conferences—he wasn't the same guy after that breakup. Initially, it was a, uh, it was a real struggle for him. Um, in that sense, he you know he really was uh shaken up by it, and I, I think by if if you believe the glossy mags, she wanted to settle down, start a family because she was several years older. And Lewis being an F1 man on the road nine months a year, well, that wasn't that wasn't really going to happen, um, and it just didn't work out. Um, and yeah, God, we've barely even mentioned 2011, and the that that was a historic f- feud with Felipe Massa for a good while. Like it, it wasn't until that awful week in India where it was the same week where we lost. I believe it was Dan Weldon and Marco Simoncelli. Um, the same week was, I think, when they finally put their differences to one side. I think after the India race and after the, their the, was one of their biggest clashes of that season, where they both hit each other on that one. I think only then did, did things really settle down. But uh, his famous that they're picking on me because I'm black line, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no, Lewis, don't play that card. <laughs> and uh, I know he was joking, but geez, uh, it was a it, like Hamilton had some rough times, and we we all knew how talented he was. We all knew you know how good Hamilton could still be, and it wasn't like he was completely dry. As mentioned, he had many a, a season where he was if a you know, a minor contender at worst and at best, you know, right in the thick of it, and still won races every season. He was in F one and with McLaren, and I believe he had twenty by the time he left the team in two thousand and twelve. Um, but by for so long we you know people thought of him as the next Jacques Villeneuve as someone who came into a good team won a title and then didn't really do anything significant you know getting wins but not necessarily getting the titles 
Yeah, I remember, like, people pointed to, like, oh, God, switching to Pirelli's has killed Lewis Hamilton's career, uh, because at that time, you know, he was really struggling to get around how temperamental those tires were. Yeah, and those tires went through a lot of changes. I mean, you can forget 2013 and them them changing halfway through the season, because, uh, the Buck Mercs and Red Bull weren't happy with how they were structured. Then that Silverstone race happened and it all changed. Um, you know, so we we had many a uh, we had many a flashpoint in that third that the, the difficult third album of Hamilton's career, you could say, after you know five years of ups and downs and you know, but ultimately no uh, no major success. Then the Mercedes switch. I, I live to win. That's what I. That's what I work towards every every year, so that's what we're going to be working towards this year. I mean, of course, it's going to be tough to compete with the, the to to beat the guys that are already at the front, like the Red Bulls and and the Ferraris and the McLarens, but I don't think it's impossible. How is your relation to your new teammate Nico Rosberg? Uh, I have a good relationship with Nico. Yeah, um, um, I've known Nico for many years, and uh, I'm really looking forward to to working with such a firstly a great guy but also uh, a great talent and i remember at the time uh people like nbc's david hobbs and james allen were all saying this was this was the biggest mistake of hamilton's career you know he's gam he's mortgaged away his whole future for a team that finished fifth in the constructors championship the previous year still had a fundamental problem with the car nico rosberg was at that time an unproven commodity because all he was doing was beating up on a old michael schumacher <laughs> You know what? What could you expect? What could you reasonably expect out of this team? Confession: I may have been one of those people. To this point, the the Mercedes comeback hadn't really gone to plan, shall we say? They bought Braun's. They bought the, the remains of the Braun team in the end of 2000. Oh no! It was going exactly to plan. <laughs> well, because we knew what was brewing in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if if you were on, say, uh, you know constantly reading Autosport or any of the the publications that discussed how the discussions in terms of the next generation of regulations were panning out, it seemed like everything was going the way Mercedes wanted it to go and not the way that, say, uh, Red Bull or Ferrari wanted. I think that just speaks to how little foresight some of these pundits actually have, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the same short-sightedness that Red Bull had in 2013, continuing to pour development into the car when everyone else had long given up the year. Yeah, Red Bull insisted on basically hammering home their advantage. I think, if I remember correctly, Sebastian Vettel at the end of 2013 still easily had like a 40-plus point lead going into the break because he'd just been so consistent in the first half of the year. But- yeah, he. I believe he had four wins to everyone else's like one or two. Right, yeah. and and then he didn't lose again for the rest. Of the he year. won nine straight to close out the year, which is which is an, which is an achievement worth. We still underrate to this day. Like ho- holy shit! And as well, Red Bull, Red Bull cried and cried and cried about the tires, and then when Britain happened, Red Bull got exactly what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Red Bull basically hit home with their advantage, and then 2014 happened. But I mean, 2013 was an okay year for Mercedes. They were actually challenging Ferrari for second in the constructors. Oh, they were—they effectively replaced McLaren in the big three. Yeah, they—they you know, mm-hmm. they won three races that season. Rosberg had two. Hamilton won in, in arguably his best track in Hungary. Um, you know, and a um, <clears throat> totally legal tire test. <clears throat> <clears throat> An extra 
a kilometers of running doesn't hurt anybody, right? Um, so, hey, who's counting? Right, so, yeah, the last year of the V8s were put to rest. In comes the V6 hybrids. I don't think we knew how good uh, the rivalry between Hamilton and Rosberg was going to be until Bahrain happened oh. in 2014, which, in this era, still one of the best races in the current turbo era. Oh, top three. Top three. Easy. But yeah, that was that was an exhibition race, basically, where a safety car reset the field with 12 to go, and then Hamilton and Rosberg beat the shit out of each other. Um, All while pulling out a gap to the tune of multiple seconds a lap while running each other off the road. Yeah. With Hamilton on a disadvantage with older tires and without the benefit of DRS, there is no way that Hamilton should have won that race, but he did. He did. And remember, it was actually all nicey-nice and fun and games because they got out of the cars, they hugged each other, and they said, well played to to, to Hamilton and Rosberg, who, for those of you who forget at the time, you know, were best mates and, you know, they came up through racing together and had been friends for 15 plus years at this point. And they finally got to live their dream as mates of being able to race in the same team together. And, you know, then qualifying at Monaco happened. And that was the first. No, I should say, um, Spain happened. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> Spain happened where um, the Mercs lapped all the way up to what? Sixth place. Yeah. Yep. They were racing each other through the field. Like, it was just them. It was, it was literally just them. just them. And they were using um, they were using engine modes that they weren't really allowed by the team to use. Yeah, they they blatantly were bending the rules to try and win the Grand Prix. And then Ham- again, Hamilton came out on top on that one as well. They were 49 seconds in front of the next nearest car, and that was Daniel Ricciardo. Wonder what happened to him? Um, he was he was third. Um, he was. F- I heard he's driving a yellow teapot now. Uh, you know, shit happens, I suppose. Nice helmet though. Uh, but yeah, forty nine seconds was the next nearest man that day. Um, yeah, we got the we got the gist of things very quickly. Mercs had taken over. It was their sport now, and it was just going to be a matter of which nightmare in silver would go on to win the championship. They would win. 18 out of the 20 out of the 21 races that calendar season the only other three won by some breakout star called daniel ricardo he turned out all right and none of which really on the road yeah it was all when mercedes hit trouble yeah it was all mercedes interference that canada well rossberg rossberg's car was crippled and had mg he had no mg uk he lost 150 horsepower and was still leading the race until yeah was still the fastest car through the first two sectors at Canada. Yeah, like, both of them had MGUK and brake-by-wire failures. Hamilton decides, I might as well just retire the car, and some reason Rosberg oh, no. keeps That's going. That's not what happened. Hamilton was running behind Rosberg in the dirty air, refused to back off of Rosberg when told by his team, and he destroyed his rear brakes in the process. Oh, Lord. Yeah, he, his so brakes were completely he, cooked. he blew the final chicane, and uh, I believe his right rear brake disc was dragging. Yeah, Hamilton actually fused. Hamilton blew his own car up in desperation trying to keep up with Rosberg. Rosberg had an MGUK failure. He was 150 horsepower down. And like I said, because 
Rosberg was still still faster than the Red Bulls behind him in the first two sectors. He was able to hold on until, I believe, two laps to go when Ricardo finally put the move on him in, into the chicane and would go on to take his first career victory. Um, meanwhile, complete chaos behind him. Sergio Perez and Felipe Massa had a hellacious accident, um, and that effectively ended the race um, with a safety car finish, uh, basically. I'm still mad as hell that Ricardo was able to undercut, come out in front of Sebastian Vettel and robbed him of his 40th Grand Prix win. I'm not mad about it, honestly, but... As mentioned earlier, this became what we called the Hamilton versus Rosberg trilogy. Um, and uh, yeah, those two were comfortably miles clear of everybody else. And uh, who can forget, it all went down to the final round in Abu Dhabi, where the, I believe there was 14 points between the pair of them. And it was the first time and the only time where we had a double points finale. Yeah. Which was oh, which we God. all dreaded fucking going into that race. <laughs> fucking burning. We didn't get into Monaco because in Monaco is really where their relationship fell apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we we, we got. I, there's so much to mention here. We're going to try and pick this up where we can, but yeah, like I still remember heading into that weekend. There was a Sky Sports uh, interview with Lewis. It was like you know traditional like drive around town interview, and. It was the first time you ever heard that phrase. Well, yeah, that that term, mind games. Yeah, and the qualifying session we all remember. Nico Rosberg being the, being the Monaco specialist and setting a faster initial qualifying lap than Hamilton, then parking it down by the Mirabeau slip road and then not reversing out of it, pulling out a yellow flag and ending Hamilton's chance to beat it. Um... Now, this is when, unfortunately, a good pocket of the F1 fan base got nasty and even started calling Nico Rosberg a Nazi. More on that later. But, uh, yeah. What? Xenophobia against a German driver? Never. Never happens. <laughs> Never heard of that no, before. No, no, it doesn't happen. I don't, I don't know how that, how that could possibly happen in our beloved F1. But... Those two were never the same after that. If anything, Belgium later on in the year where they both hit each other. Hamilton running Rosberg very wide on that first opening lap. Those two yeah. never... Well, as we had seen a couple of times, Hamilton would generally run Nico out of road if they were on side-by-side. Side. So Nico decided, well, you can run me off the road. I'm not moving. Yeah, Oh, it's like, wow. you can choose whether we're going to have this accident or not. The old air in sentimentality. And then Hamilton was like, all right, bet. Uh, <laughs> and Hamilton's race was destroyed. Yeah, Rosberg would limp his slightly floor-damaged... He still very nearly won that race, Rosberg. If the race was a couple of laps no, longer... He, he had half a front wing, and he was keeping ahead of the Red Bulls. Yeah, you know. Uh, you know, If that race was two laps longer... Yeah, the Ayrton sentimentality used against... The biggest Senna fan ever, Lewis Hamilton, who grew up idolizing Ayrton Senna. Yeah, you know, it, it got it got sour between those two very quickly. You could even go back as far as their, their second race together in 2013 in Malaysia, where Rosberg was basically given a team wall that holds station behind Hamilton. And I distinctively remember uh, Rosberg telling the team as he came into the into Park Fermi, having finished fourth instead of, instead of third, Guys, you owe me one for this. Um, yeah, and only the second spiciest team orders drama that afternoon. That prevented Rothberg <laughs> from going up and going after the Red Bulls who were caught up in their own team order drama. 
precisely. Yeah. Um, closing out 2014, um, I'm reading over like this top year list of like some of Hamilton's best wins from 2016. Italy. Hamilton had dropped 25 points to Rosberg over the last three races. Mm. This could have broken his title chance. Hamilton puts all the pressure on Rosberg. Rosberg makes the mistake on lap 29, takes the lead, and those goes on to win five consecutive races, yeah. which which at the time was his longest F1 winning streak. Yeah, it's at East Singapore, Japan, Russia, and That year, under pressure, Rosberg just imploded every time. And that became a narrative that carried all the way into 2015. Yeah. Gust of wind in U.S. Grand Prix, anyone? Yeah. I don't think I don't think Rosberg was ever in striking distance. Anyways, that year, no, he he was, he was way off that year. But that mistake sealed the deal and uh, enabled Hamilton to win it on the day, rather than having to wait a couple of weeks for for uh, Brazil. But 2014, well, we kind of know how this story ended. Basically, we all hyped ourselves up thinking, yeah, it's a title fight when it wasn't really a title fight in that sense. I mean, no, all Hamilton- no, what we were doing is everyone, everyone and their mother saying, oh. Mercedes is going to sabotage Lewis Hamilton's car so Nico Rosberg can take the win in the final race. And then Nico Rosberg's car self-destructed. Yeah, yeah, he failed. And I I remember this one because I remember Nico Rosberg, his car was badly damaged and limping home. Rosberg insisted he finished the race. Um, he asked his team for mission, can I finish, guys? I, I, I want to finish the race. And they said... This is okay. a car with a, sti- a sticking throttle and basically no brakes. Yeah. Um, Rosberg, the gallant fighter he was, fell on his sword um, in quite I- iconic fashion. And I remember Rosberg gained a lot of fans that day for that one. You know, he, he, he didn't give up till the very last. And they hugged it out and we thought it was all over. Keyword being forced. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Nico, like 2015 was a lot more straightforward. Hamilton was just better that season. Hamilton just beat the brakes off of everybody. Yeah, it was because remember this was this was Ferrari. It was Mercedes yawning chasm to Ferrari, yawning chasm to the rest. Yeah, exactly. The only the only person that was even like, if anything. Sebastian Vettel had become the comic relief. He left Red Bull to join Ferrari. He won. He was the only guy to win a Grand Prix that wasn't a Mercedes that season. He took three wins of his own in Sepang, which I may or may not have cried to. Hungary, um, the, the first race since the tragic passing of Jules Bianchi, and in Singapore, where he was unbeatable um, that year in that car. The shorter wheelbase coming into play quite nicely for him. Um, well, at that time, Ferrari, you know... When you consider how far Ferrari was off, you know, the better part of eight-tenths of a second under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. And Vettel and Rosberg was were eliminated from the championship in the same race. Such was the beating that Lewis put on Nico that year. Indeed. And if anything, Vettel was to come in relief. He was the guy that was in the press conference finishing third all the time, making all the jokes. <laughs> I remember the one in Mexico where it was like, can you, can you guys maybe, you know, hit each other and then you know I can go through yes <laughs> no and then he, and he looks deadpan at the camera and goes guys I tried <laughs> yeah the scowl on Rosberg's face Rosberg was like all, all the time in Japan where he goes were well, you low again 
<laughs> because the wind was was under was under the Italian wind was under scrutiny um, because of low tire pressures, and they got away with it that day. Um, Rosberg's car had, had, had suffered a catastrophic failure, and Hamilton's win was under review. Um, and of course, he was exonerated from that in the end, but uh, still hilarious. Um, but at that point, I think Rosberg was just getting a bit sick and tired of the jokes. We all. Yeah, yeah, we meant <laughs> which we saw when he was eliminated from that title because um, Rosberg yeah. went on the warpath. Right, Rosberg finished the year. F- Rosberg finished the year with three consecutive wins, then picked up what would become a seven race winning streak through the first four races yeah. of twenty. And everyone thought, oh well, Hamilton already won the title, so he's just he's checked out. He's not trying. Nah, but that hat toss seen around the world really was the start of something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after Hamilton won his third world title in America, after Rosberg made a critical error of a handful of laps to go, effectively gifting Hamilton the early title win, um, Hamilton threw Rosberg his second place cap. Rosberg in clearly pissed off at himself for what had happened, dashed the cap straight back at Lewis's head. Um, best friends, yeah. everybody. And I think... Yeah, and maintain <laughs> something snapped in Nico that day. Right? He decided, I, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. I need to be better. Yeah, I, I even remember a, a friend of a friend who knew an insider in the team very well saying Toto was apparently very close to breaking that team up at the end of 2015 because he thought it had gotten too toxic. Um, yeah, that was, that was for Rosberg, that was his Senate at Monaco in 1988. Yeah, this ain't happening again, basically. And yeah. I can't let myself do this again. Yeah, and... Lo and behold, we got one of the better title fights in 2016. One where Rosberg started the year four in a row, they have the crash at Spain, Hamilton goes on a win streak, then Rosberg goes on a win streak, segmented by a certain engine failure in Malaysia, Hamilton wins the last four to end the season, but Rosberg is the champion by five points. Kids... don't leave your engine turned up in Malaysia trying to pull out a pit stop gap on the fucking Red Bulls. Don't try and cover off that def- that hard four corners into a Grand Prix in Spain. Yep. No, it was the perfect 50-50 incident. You can't send it on someone who's always going to slam the door, and you can't slam the door on someone who's always going to send it. Oh, dear. Four corners into the race. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> It, it, it all and then some uh, some Dutch kid won that race. Yeah, on his Red Bull debut. Sorry, Daniel. Uh, oh dear. Sorry, Sebastian and and Ricardo for putting being put on the inadvertently incorrect strategy. <laughs> yeah, twenty sixteen was a funny old was a funny old tale. Little did we know as well. But so we we mentioned Malaysia and we mentioned obviously the massive swing in the title being Malaysia. It's funny because one round later, Nico Rosberg won the Japanese Grand Prix, and not that we knew it at the time, he had said to himself, you know, that if he won the world title um, later on that season, he would he would retire. Yeah, and well, and the thing is, as well, is it wasn't just that swing. Hamilton had, geez, six or seven blown starts, where we had thought that the the regulation change preventing drivers from getting information for the start would hurt Nico, it actually hurt Lewis. Yeah, it was like at this point Rosberg had basically adopted every trick in the book to find little gains over Lewis. 
you know the you know, the start adjustments and he you know, adapted him better. And to especially them. Now, you know in 2016, the dirty air was fucking horrible. Yeah. So getting ahead at the start in equal cars when nobody's going to challenge you on the road, and Mercedes is going to give the drivers the same strategy, except in one instance. Yeah. Because another swing was Singapore, where Rosberg, for lack of a better way to put it, destroyed Lewis and destroyed the field. Yeah, Lewis was on the back foot all weekend. His car had to be opened up on the pra- in, in practice. Um, and he was on the back foot all weekend long. Rosberger qualified on pole position. He was going to win the race comfortably until a sudden strategy change for Lewis Hamilton basically left Rosberger sitting duck on the, uh, um, in the lead while Ricardo was bearing down at him at the rate of nearly two seconds a lap. They forced Hamilton in on a two-stopper to try and put him on the podium and very nearly took the win away from Rosberg. So, hey... If we didn't, which would have taken the title away. Yeah, not that we knew it at the time, but that was the biggest indicator possible that Merckx, you know, and Rosberg, if he was going to win this world title, would have to get not only overcome, you know, the greatest driver of this generation, but also a team that clearly still had some eggs in the Hamilton basket. Um, and hey, it was going. Well, that, that's the thing, Mercedes. For all of the talk of sabotage, for all of that. They don't give a fuck which car wins. Right. They give a fuck if they win and if they get the best result. And two cars on the podium is better than one car only winning. Right. And uh, that changed off of Singapore. We couldn't even believe that anymore. And uh, yeah, that combined with the Malaysia engine swing, again, secretly not knowing it at the time, but Rosberg basically saying, you know, if I win, this is this is it for my F1 career. And then Hamilton going on a tear, winning the final four well, races. But again, the scoreboards already knew that the title was out of Hamilton's hands by that point. All Rosberg had to do... With the sheer dominance of the W07, all Nico had to do was finish second, and there was no one in a country mile of the Mercs on raw speed. Should we, lest we forget, Nico Rosberg with a championship winning overtake on the still audacious, still rough around the exits, Max Verstappen, where we all thought it was going to end in tears. For Nico, um, it didn't. It's still one of my, yeah, it's, it's, it's still one of my favorite tweets ever was watching that season finale in Abu Dhabi at work and I remember seeing how like seeing Rosberg pass Verstappen um in and a, a, rate, a pass that would win in the title I remember Rosberg being told on the radio this pass is critical for the championship and Rosberg's big bollocks move on Verstappen and I said that was the pass of a world champion and it was a pass that would win him the world title because despite Hamilton trying everything, ignoring team orders and trying to back the wagon up, desperately hoping... Basically trying to throw the race for Mercedes as long as it costs Rosberg the title. Yeah, that Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen were right behind them in tow. Hamilton was doing all the lifting and coasting to try and open the door for someone to pass. Uh, Nico Rosberg, little did he know, Sebastian Vettel behind him had already said to the team... I'm not contending for the title. I'm not getting involved, basically. Um, so, Good boy, Sebastian. Sebastian was like, I'm not interfering. I'll take the third, basically. Um, and yeah, despite all of Hamilton's attempts, he won the race, but Nico Rosberg won the title. And for the first time in three years, Hamilton had been dethroned. And trust me, 
as we found out later on down the road in his F1 career, that hurt Hamilton. It really hurt Hamilton. Oh, we knew we knew on the podium when he was asked, "Did the better man win?" and he really had no comment. He knew he, should, he, he 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 knew he was robbed in Malaysia, and and as we found out down the road, like he was always bitter against Nico Rosberg for for not defending his title which he had no obligation to do. And if anything, it's a nice little fuck you right off into the sunset from Nico Rosberg because he won. That was the one title in this hybrid era. That's the one world title that Lewis Hamilton has not won. It's the one that got away and he'll never be able to avenge it. And Ro- Rosberg went home to be a family man and also a YouTuber. Yeah, that, that, that went well. <laughs> Noted purveyor of explosions, Nico Rosberg. Yay. It worked out all right. I don't think this segment's career is over as yet, because I think as we're seeing Hamilton also rewrite the record books uh, and start to break every conceivable record that we thought could never be broken, um, he is also burgeoned far beyond the realm of his sport into pop culture, into social issues, into all sorts of other neat stuff. And I mean, Dre, I'd like to hear your take on this. It's oh wow, my floor is mine. That never happens on this show anymore. <laughs> um, no, well, it, it's probably best I comment on this a bit more because, well, I'm the only British guy on this show, and it's probably a bit more relevant to the UK than it is to the US because, well, the US just doesn't it's just it just doesn't put F1 on a plinth when it comes to well popularity and and coverage compared to the US which has obviously more popular motorsport series and just sports doesn't in help when uh doesn't help when the formula 1 broadcasts actively mock US motorsport no it doesn't hi sky no it... go fuck yourselves <laughs> no it doesn't help and you're absolutely right on that one it's one series that is incredibly arrogant the other one being incredibly insecure and the other one being nascar um but yeah hashtag playoffs it's it's funny because i think that second phase of hamilton's career um, we talk about now off the track, I think, started when he joined Mercedes. All of a sudden, he was bringing Roscoe, his dog, to the tracks, and he was wearing his own clothes. He was standing out from the crowd a bit more. He was starting to... I say, I remember mm. the Top Gear, his second Top Gear interview, right. when he had just signed with Mercedes, mm. and Clarkson's talking to him, and he's saying, you'll have a lot less media commitments you can be a lot more yourself, mm. which ironically, you got a lot more media commitments once Mercedes started curb stomping the field. Yeah. Be- but Mercedes has always let Lewis just be himself. And it was easier back then because, like I said, that was 2013. That was when Merckx was still, by all accounts, a midfield team. Yeah. Uh, even like even now, like the corporate image of you know Mercedes-Benz and Daimler as a whole doesn't revolve around their Formula One team like it does for McLaren. Right. So, so they the, their drivers have a lot more leeway because they're not they're not expected to be corporate sports like corporate I mean, corporate spokespeople for their. It's why uh, their yeah. job is to go out and drive the car, and if they do a good enough job at that, Mercedes doesn't care what you do. Yeah, and. We've, I joke, I've made many a joke about this before. That that was the era of Corporation Lewis at McLaren, because as as King's King spot on, McLaren had always been, 
you know, the likable F1 team because they were British and they were, you know, at the front for the majority of their time in the, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, well, besides that whole Ferrari thing. But for the most part, you know, they were a top-tier, well-liked, popular team, but their drivers are very stuffy and corporate. Um, and that was the same for when Lewis Hamilton joined him. You know, there was this ridiculously talented young black dude from Stevenage here, and he basically was generic as all hell, you know, when he was in his interviews back then, but we all liked him anyway because it was a fresh face it was a fresh face at the top we all he, he was what well, look at how angry people got when he was openly bashing the car in 2009 and that 2009 mclaren was a fucking sled you're right yeah you know? like and people were getting angry at him for not being you know the corporate guy and sucking it up it's like yeah so you, we, you need to call your team out they are not doing a good enough job yeah mm-hmm. like i said Corporation Lewis. We like we all like we all loved Corporation Lewis until the wheels fell off McLaren. And then he joined Mercedes and then Mercedes as as King alluded to, they don't they don't rely on their drivers to be part of the brand. So, you know, Hamilton could be himself and I remember seeing glimpses of that even before. I remember 2012 when he won in Abu Dhabi, the tire, the, the, the the race where Vettel's rear tire fell off, and he won in front of his mum, and it was a big deal for him because his mum doesn't make it out to as many races as his dad does. Um, and you know, <clears throat> it was a big deal. But once he joined, he, once he joined Mercedes, he became a lot more himself. He became. You know, a bit more flash. He, uh, he he wore his own clothes. He he started dabbling in fashion. He was, you know, a lot more laid back and chilled in his interviews. And yeah, it 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 was a noticeable change. And it's a noticeable change that we now see a lot more with Lewis. Now he's even more loose with the rise of social media. And well, you know, don't get me wrong, he's had many a screw up in this regard because. It's, it is a weakness of Hamilton's. He is not the slickest media operator. He never has been. He's a professional at stuffing his foot in his own mouth. Yeah, and, you know, he makes a bit too many goof-ups for a grown man who's 35 in January. And, you know, I, I can still remember a year and a half ago where he... Oh, uh, the dress. Yeah, where we, oh, where no. he, mocked his, he mocked his male cousin for wearing a dress and, you know, obviously going against... You know, gender stereotypes he've always had, and he had to be you know, basically rage quit his entire social media and start it over while liking everyone's tweets who agreed with him. Um, and that was a big faux pas. And, you know, he's had to have a rethink a couple of times over. And, you know, he's not been perfect by any stretch, but God, it's really, it's really hard to be in today's social media climate anyway. <laughs> but it, it really well, is. Being, being able to use. You know, he talks about social issues and people talk down to him like, Mm. oh, well, you're rich. You get to travel the world. What do you have to be angry about? God forbid someone gets that platform and tries to do good with it. Yeah, I'll say this. Like, we know we've established that Hamilton has not has had a tendency to put his foot in his mouth at his times. And people don't like him because he is a bit of a sore loser and he is cranky when things don't go his way during a race. But the fact that he is able to just, you know, take some time to reflect and maybe think about some of the things that he says and that he's able to use this platform to try and make the world a better place. Um that in itself is admirable when you consider that most racing drivers either just um, one have don't really engage in, or two, when they do engage it, it's always something that you reveal. It's just like Jesus, this is abhorrent. 
Yeah. yeah. Hi, Nico Hulkenberg. I, 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 I don't want to play this down as just an America thing, but I'm pretty sure he had the tri- he had a tribute on his helmet one race to one of the American mass shootings. I can't remember which one. Please forgive me. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I can't. Yeah. And- I, I think no, no. Just the fact that you that you have yeah. to like. Well, I know. Which I know. One yeah, it is. That's, that's, I know. That's a bad look, anyways. I know. I'm only saying that because I wanted to do it. I wanted to give it due diligence, but like, like it says a lot. But I don't know which one it was. That's like, a, I don't want to get too deep into American politics here, and I don't want to play it down because it was but awful. People had a fucking. I remember, people had yeah. a meltdown over that. Yeah, like he was. He he was. He paid tribute to the dead. He had a hashtag on his helmet, and people lost their minds over that. And. That's when I think many people started to realize that Hamilton is transcendent. He is a star that uses his platform a lot more than a lot of other elite athletes do at many a world level. And this year, I think 2019 has been the biggest year of that by a country mile. He's had to bounce back from the criticism of not only keeping grid goals and his flip-flopping stance on that, but also, as mentioned, his cousin wearing a dress. And, yes, should I say his male cousin wearing a dress? Because, you know, the context is important there. Um, And having to atone for that, because he he was seen later on the same, later on the following year, um, walking with his male cousin wearing a dress and it wasn't a big deal how it's like like it shouldn't be so you know he's had to work hard to get over putting his foot in his mouth but i overall and i will stand by this he plays an important role in f1 because he's one of the few that will speak out against larger issues not just in the circle of sports in a world that you know is starting to have to starting to realize that you know politics is sports and that we can't just stick to sports anymore and it goes deeper than that stick to sports mentality yeah is dead it's been dead for a while it died with colin kaepernick when it comes to mainstream attention and um and and what happened to no matter how much gizmodo has tried to bury what was deadspin (laughs) over this Exactly, and it, it, rest in peace, Deadspin. Yeah, it was, it was a good, it was it was a good sports site, etc. But you get the gist: is that Halton's gone way further than this, and you know, this year he's, he's spoken out about you know, becoming vegan and releasing a new chain of restaurants to you know promote cleaner eating, cleaner living, sustainable food sources, etc. You know, selling the private jet that he was obviously panned for when the Panama Papers came out. Um, and, you know, flying commercially. And, of course, people dunked on him all over the place, dunked on him left, right, and center, saying, look at the ri- look at the fucking rich guy with the private jet talking about trying to save the planet. And, of course, a lot of people... God forbid someone actually get a platform where they have the power to speak out on issues and actually use it. Indeed. Yes. And... Uh, it, it, it goes to show, I mean, this was this was again largely a British thing because British the British are very snooty and let's and I mean and I'm not saying this is completely fair both ways because Hamilton was famous for dodging his taxes regarding that private jet and we British hate a tax dodger we really hate them we throw them under the bus for that sort of thing in this country like guys like Jimmy Carr the comedian and Gary Barlow how to take that when they when they were all caught up in tax evasion schemes 
schemes. We roasted them in pop culture for it. It was the same with Lewis. Um, and he had, to t- he had to take his L for that one. And, of course, when this came out regarding him being vegan and him being, you know, more environmentally friendly. I remember when he was on holiday and cleaning up the garbage and we turned it into a meme. <laughs> like... Yeah, and that was back in 2017. So we don't help ourselves as audience members sometimes, but I can tell you for free that you know a lot of this came from viewers that don't get F1 or don't watch F1 or didn't or just wanted to take the context out of the situation, which didn't help. And Cam's absolutely right. He is, you know, God forbid someone uses their platform as a you know a very popular multi-millionaire celebrity. And, you know, tries to, and actually does something about it rather than someone like Billy Ellis who just gets on a video and says, Yay, climate change! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and, you know, let's, let's do a concert! And, you know, actually, you know, does something about it, heaven forbid. Because, and, and this is the thing. It's funny we mention this now because in the news, since we talked about this originally, Formula One itself, a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, came out and said, yeah, we're going to try and make the sport carbon neutral by 2030. And then all of these guys are like, oh, they had to just walk back their criticism regarding this. And hey, George Russell and Sebastian... Oh, plenty of them didn't. Uh, Plenty of them didn't. Oh, well, some of them did. A lot of them didn't because they're idiots. But, you know, this this is the same scenario where... Sebastian Vettel, you know, talked about it a week later saying, well, look, he's trying to make a difference. He believed, he said F1 should be trying a bit harder for the environment. It is a sport that is problematic when it comes to climate change because of all the jets and the maintenance and the upkeep of their sports. But he wasn't criticised in the same way Lewis was. And this is the point I'm going to get to. It creates a very murky grey area with Lewis because, well... You may not have mentioned this, but Lewis Hamilton's black. <laughs> yeah, he is one of the he is one of the two drive two is one of two black drivers in the history of this entire sport. Right. The other one was cycled in and out after two seasons, and not all because of his fault. Yeah, the, like I've said it, like I wrote it in my piece about Lewis Hamilton on the website last week, and I will double down on that here. I don't think people realise that Hamilton is. British sports and British F1's real equivalent to the Williams sisters. You know, this is a black working class kid out of Stevenage that was able to come in and eventually dominate and take over maybe the most predominantly white sport on mainstream television. Because it really is. Because you watch a Formula One broadcast, right? How many women do you see and how many people of colour do you see on a broadcast that aren't grid girls, for example, up until this year, obviously. But... Very like few. Zero. Very, <laughs> very few. You could probably count hand, them on one hand. A handful at best. Yeah, you can count them. A handful at best. You can count them on one hand. And even though, like, a lot of people that would be considered people of colour, say, like, some of the like, Brazilian drivers in Formula 1... Like, we take our Latino representation in the sport for granted. Like, they're, like... A lot of those Latino drivers are like considered white in their country, right? right. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, if you're not, and, and yeah, go, yeah. Okay. Lewis Lewis has had to battle that, has had to battle that stereotyping throughout his career, and he's become an icon of his sport and outside of his sport. Look, it is a walking. I cannot tell you how big of a walking miracle that the biggest global star Formula One has ever had 
is a working class black dude fr- from Great Britain. Like, seriously. His dad, his dad had to work how it's many awesome. jobs to find <laughs> his career? Three yeah. at once? Three. Three at once to keep his carting dream alive. And we all know it takes millions and millions of pounds of funding to even get into Formula One 99 times out of 100. Hi, Mitch. But that's besides... I think... Yeah, I think I think back to another black British driver, Jan Martinbro, whose father Steve played in the highest level of football, and even that couldn't fund him into karting, <laughs> so he had to get his way into motorsport through video games. Right. Yep. It is a walking miracle that a black dude ended up becoming the most dominant dude, arguably, this sport has ever seen, and in a in, in a sporting environment that is 99% white. Like, I, I can't stress that enough. It's, like I said it before, I compared it to the Williams sisters in tennis for good reason, because the stories are almost parallel. They came from hard-working class backgrounds, in, and they've had to fight racism and stereotypes all the way at every stage of their career to the point where they're world number one, and Hamilton had to deal with blackface fans in Spain and, and racist abuse, and the Williams just did the exact same thing when they came onto the scene, and they, and they turned pro in the late 90s and the early 2000s. It's the, it's the exact same ballpark, and I think we as a British audience, and I'm not commenting about America, for example, this is just a British perspective. We take that for granted so badly. You know, we really, really do, and... And unfortunately, this country has become, and this is going to get political here, so beat your ears, everybody. This country's become a lot more xenophobic in the last four, four or five years. It may be. Oh, that's not. That's an. That is a absolute zero take. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's that's like not no. Hot it's a at all. Like, like for there and for over here in the United States. Yeah, it's a freezing cold take. This country's become a bajillion times more xenophobic in the last half decade. Um, it may or may not involve a six-letter word beginning with B. Um, you, you probably know which one I'm talking about, and I'm not talking about buffets either. Um, and yeah. <laughs> I get it. We're in a world of, of instant gratification, you know, getting your hot takes out and slamming them on a keyboard straight away. And I'm not saying this applies to everybody because it is a murky grey area between people that are just Marilyn Lewis or people that are trying to find the genuine reason to dislike him. But, for example, when the environmentalist talk came up earlier this year and, you know, Hamilton was buried for, you know, how dare the rich dude speak out about this. And then... Only for a month later for the sport he's racing in to say, yeah, we're going to try and be carbon neutral in the next decade. And then having the people to see people double down in it. And not to mention George Russell, a white English dude, and Sebastian Vettel, a German, come out and say these things. And let's not forget, this Formula One social media scene has absolutely fired racist Nazi abuse towards Vettel and Rosberg in their F1 careers too. And that's not okay either by any stretch of the imagination. It, yeah. um, unfortunately, it's a minority part of the culture that is too big to ignore. And knowing those two guys can come out with similar statements and nobody bats an eyelid, but when Lewis does it, we all dunk on him. It's very, very hard, not for, especially for me as a young black man who's grown up seeing this sport evolve in the last 10, 15 years. It's very hard not to say there's a, there's a racial element at play here because there absolutely is. It, <laughs> yeah. Without a doubt, there is absolutely a bunch of people that can't stand the fact that a black man is on top of this sport. And, you know, God forbid, because, again, the way F1's been perceived in this country, it's always been seen as a posh boys sport, you know, 
posh middle class it white still people. is a posh yeah of course sport. it is it's, it, it's, it's the poshest of middle class white boy sports look at Goodwood <laughs> look <laughs> Goodwood is cosplay for motorsport fans I mean <laughs> not wrong look if I rolled up right now at Goodwood having paid £500 for a weekend ticket and a bunch of ripped jeans and Jordans I'd be thrown out of the building I'd be like did you get lost <laughs> come on like we know what this sport is. We know what its background is. We know what its history is. We know the, the type of person that watches this sport, especially when you're in the UK like me, where the sport is overall much higher up the social hierarchy and the class system compared to maybe America, where they, they just don't care about I it mean, at the same level. Just the money required to watch the sport on television. We have to, oh, yeah. yeah, we have to it's... get a Sky package and then pay £30 a month on top of that to watch Sky Sports F1. The sport has gone behind a paywall in the last half decade. I mean, and actually a little bit more than that, to be fair, but yeah, like Sky Sports F1's been a thing since 2013, so let's call it seven years now. We've had F1 behind a hardcore paywall. Um, yeah, and, that, and not, a, not a cheap one either. It's basically, you know, 55 bucks a month in the US, because I know a lot of our listeners are, are American. It's 30 quid a month, roughly 55 bucks a month to watch every F1 race live in this country in high definition. It's a joke. Good grief. Yeah. Um, trying to rein it in a bit here. Um, you know, he's had another, he's won his six titles. He's won Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes season away from breaking Michael Schumacher's win record. Um, what would it take for him to be the greatest of all time? And are there any potential challengers for his mantle? The problem for me is that the greatest of all time is so subjective when you consider everything that happens. Every time there's a GOAT discussion, and this is in every sport, mm-hmm. the zealots for each side try to nitpick every little thing that every driver has ever done to prove or disprove that their driver is the GOAT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say I prefer to refer to it as the greatest of their era. And in that respect, Lewis has no equal. Cop out. Cop out. Yeah, th- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah that's like, I always feel that's a bit of a cop out because anytime, like, greatest of their era, it's it's pretty much always clear cut who's the best at the time. Yeah, but I mean, even, sorry, Dre, in relatively equal machinery, although certainly not equal teams, and we'll probably talk about that more later, um, Lewis Hamilton kind of kicked Sebastian Vettel's ass. No. I, I, I can't argue with it. Like, look, I, yeah. I, I said in my piece at the end of 2017. So, the end, sorry, by the end of 2018, I said there is no argument. Hamilton is a better driver than Vettel ever was. Like, there's, like, I love Sebastian as much as the next guy, but I, there's no argument left to say he's better. There is no argument you could form to put oh. to put him behind. There, there's, there's not, there's no grounds for it whatsoever. Look, for me, um. I am a numbers guy. I've always been the numbers guy. I think it's the the best place to start when it comes to these sorts of debates. And statistically speaking, one more big year from from Lewis, and it's, it's going to be very hard to argue if he has another season like this in twenty twenty. And he t- it's already if you're going to go to the goat discussion, there's only really two drivers. Yeah, yeah, and again, it depends yeah. on how much you love Fangio and you know if and how much you want to weigh in from the fifties by comparison and what your subjective value is on that era compared to now. But like 
Schumacher is a great modern day example because the sport's not changed as much in the last 20 years as it has compared to the previous 50. Um, so it, it's it's always going to be hard because, you know, eras are different. You know, people have put different value on different things. So it's always going to be hard to say. But from a pure statistical standpoint, one more big season from Lewis next year on the same par as he's had for the last five or six He's going to have every major record in the book. He's only, I think, what, seven wins now behind Michael Schumacher? And, and that was, right. and, and I thought. If Mercedes does another year like this, he could have that before the summer yeah. break. And he could chip into that because there's only two more races left in the season. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and we shouldn't bet, we probably shouldn't bet on Ferrari winning them because, oh boy. No, especially <laughs> not in Brazil when one of their drivers is taking an engine penalty. But, uh, yeah, look. One more big year, and he's gonna, and, it, and it's gonna be very hard to argue against Lewis being number one, quite frankly. And you know, what can you say? There, like, a lot of F one is political when it comes to where you want to be and being in the right place at the right time. Is you know, absolutely a key part of of, of, of success in F one. And I remember making a video for Race World TV about four years ago where I said. I thought Schumacher's win record of 91 was the most untouchable record in the history of the sport. I never thought, like, I thought, I, 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 this, this was just as Hamilton was starting to get these 10-win seasons under his belt. And I thought, but it's going to take five more years of Lewis on this level <laughs> to get to that point. I can't see F1 as a sport and the way it constantly changes ever getting to the point where Hamilton might have seven 10-win seasons under his belt or wins or he's, or he is or he's averaging 10 a year. We get into that yeah. point. Hugh Ferrari Hugh. being a flaming dumpster fire every fucking year they have a chance at a title. Yeah, just think about it. Do you Do you know how many drivers are lucky enough to make it 14 seasons into F1, let alone have 14 consecutive winning seasons. Well, you know how few drivers does. have 10 wins for their entire career, let alone consecutive 10-win seasons? Yeah, I don't, even, I don't even think Valtteri's on 10 yet. Yeah, well, we know what Valtteri Bottas is all about. And Valtteri's got, what, seven career wins since joining that team? Yeah, seven, seven wins. So, what I want to address as well is... Arguably the smartest career decision that anyone has ever made in F1, and we didn't know it at the time, but consider the person who he was paired with in his rookie season in F1. Fernando Alonso. Think of the divergence of their careers. Wow. Because Lewis made smart career decisions and won Fernando Alonso well. He did. Yeah. Sorry, RJ. That's okay. That's okay. I can't even dispute that point. No. For for me, uh, I, I I never thought I would see a driver as dominant as Michael Schumacher was. I remember growing up like I couldn't stand what Michael Schumacher won all the time. But you know, with the with the benefit of hindsight and growing up, I realized like if anybody is gonna drag the field and grind them into dust, I'd love for it to be like someone like Lewis Hamilton, because we're never gonna see anybody like him again. Yeah. <laughs> Look. <laughs> there's like nothing and, else to and, say. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any any mantle challenges anytime soon. Like the odds we ever see someone with the this level of sustained success in Formula One ever again, I don't think is going to happen. I think F1 is a lot more self-aware 
of its own dominance-related issues now to the point where, I mean, look at the 2021 regulations. They've been deliberately designed in a way to make sure this doesn't happen again. And well, yeah, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, whether that actually happens or not remains to be seen. I have my doubts, personally. Yeah, um, and even, we don't even have to go that far. What, what would F1 even look like? Post Lewis Hamilton, and that's just it. That's a scary thing we have to think about pretty soon because next year he turns thirty-five. He'll if he wins another title, he'll tie the record and probably beaten the all-time wins record. He has nothing left to chase except maybe getting to a hundred wins. But now he is firmly in the twilight of his career. What does he do next? Does he go into? Does he stay in motorsport? Does he burgeon into something else? Because he's dabbled in other elements of, like, he's done fashion, he's done, he's had his own rap albums, Man, uh, he's done all sorts of man's stuff. Man's on the cover, man's on the cover <laughs> of GQ right now, he's one of GQ Germany's men of the year, you know, and he's done Burberry shoots the other day, he's he's clearly clued in on his fashion, and some of his stuff is genuinely excellent, I do say. <clears throat> the- I think Vic just put something else in the chat as well. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar question to, what does MotoGP look like without Valentino Rossi? Sete Jimmy now probably wins five world titles. <laughs> but uh, I'm not mad about that at all. But I mean, like... <laughs> no, no, after he retires. I, I mean, oh, true. Yeah, true. after he retires. Where, like, MotoGP, it's a, a bit simpler for MotoGP, you know, post-Rossi, because they already have, a, you know, a whole field of not only talented but charismatic writers. But, and they have their alien on on the other hand. <laughs> They'll never, ever take to anyone... Like they take to Valentino Rossi, Never. and that's going to be interesting because yeah. Mark Marquez is is you know is a, is a freak and is popular in his own right. But those fans, those Rossi fans, where are they going to go? Because you know, home probably. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I I think one in in the Rossi case, a, a key of his popularity, which kind of it's it's not as important nowadays, but. Early in his career is much more important. The fact that he was Italian. That, that's massive, of course. And Italy needed that sort of hyperstar back in their country again. And he made a lot of people fall in love with bike racing. A, ha- a post-Hamilton F1 is going to be very interesting. And, you know, seeing... I, I think Verstappen will become the most popular driver in the sport, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think we're already seeing... According to the driver but, of the day rankings, he already is, <laughs> even though his car blew up on lap two. But, yeah, but I don't but I, th- I don't think it's going to be exactly the same, because I, I doubt, unless Matt Verstappen's uh, life and his outlook takes a massive 180 from where he's at it right now... He's yeah. not going to be as engaging as top man as Lewis Hamilton. No one I can will. say the same for Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, George Russell if they pan out. No no one in Formula 1 has any sort of mainstream appeal. Like they're like no one has the name that one has any name recognition outside of Formula 1 other than Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, as as he said, he transcends beyond the sport. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. He uh, he gets people to watch the sport that would not normally watch. He takes the sport to audiences it's never seen or been anywhere near before. He taps into pop culture like no other British driver ever has. He we like I don't again we Brits don't know how good we have it with him. I know there's been many a debate this week about him getting a knighthood. Trust me, it will happen at some point. I guarantee you that. Like breathe. I, I'd say it, it depends on which government that's is in true. power 
on, on, on when on when he maybe gets maybe one isn't over. conservative, um, but but uh, <laughs> it will happen at some point. I have no doubt about that. He, like to close it up, he is one of the most important F1 drivers ever. I think he is comfortably the greatest British great racing driver we've ever seen. I think. Oh, not close. You know, I, it's not close. No, I, yeah, no, I think close. he is a top three, maybe even top two at this point driver of all time. Um, I think Schumacher is the only guy. Me, in the he's, po- I think, he's second. Yeah, and I think you know. I also think he is not going to be fully appreciated, at least by British audiences, until he hangs up the gloves, because we don't know how good we've got it with him. And he is a transcendent superstar that this sport has desperately, desperately needed. Um, not since the days of Mansell, at best. And that was 25, 30 years ago at this point. And Mansell never tapped into mainstream sports appeal like Lewis Hamilton has. He's an incredibly important figure, not only for F1, but for black athletes in this, um, yeah, black athletes in general, and, and and black sports fans in this country, because we still get it in the neck. Regard, like I mean, if you ever if anyone, if anyone's a soccer or a football fan, you know for a fact that this country is dealing with its own enormous racist problems when it comes to sports and football fans at the moment. Guys like Raheem Sterling has been targeted and many other footballers of colour alongside that. Um, And, you know, to a degree in other sports as well where the goalposts move if you're black, where you've got to be spectacular constantly all the goddamn time. You know, in order to move the needle, everyone's just everyone's searching under every rock for a way to tear you down. Yeah, and that only maybe has applied to maybe only one other elite athlete in this country this year that isn't black, and that's Ben Stokes. And and trust me, he will wrap up sports personality of the year in December, no problem. And he's the only other guy I would put even close to that ballpark. But Ben Stokes gets different issues. It's not. Issues are based on the matter of race. No one is hating on Stokes because he's originally from New Zealand. They don't like him because he's a redemption story in his own right. But Hamilton is one of the most important black athletes this country has ever had. He's a transcendent superstar, like I said. He, I think he's one of the greatest British athletes ever. I, I, he, he is in. He deserves to be in that conversation with guys like Sir Steve Redgrave. Lennox Lewis, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Chris Hoy, you know. And I think as well, I I think something that's helped, and Vic just put this in the Discord, that Liberty Media kind of bringing F1 kicking and screaming into social, being more active on social media at the same time that Lewis has been atop the sport has helped him transcend the sport. Because one of the reasons why we're never going to see this again is F1 fought social media for so long under Bernie's regime. We didn't have a hashtag at a Grand and Prix it, till 2014. We didn't. And like, and like re- remember that Lewis got the band overturned on taking f- social media photos in the yeah. past. Yep. And we're not going to get another situation where F1 is being brought into a new form of media to reach out to the audience. I'm not saying, and, and Lewis was Lewis was king of the sport when that happened. Yeah, that, we're not going to get a repeat. Yeah, of that's why his social media following is three times higher than everybody else. He, like I said, he is a, he is 
the social media figurehead superstar that this sport has needed. It needed someone like him to step it up because the only other guy in that ballpark who who could have been was Sebastian, and he just does things differently, and that's perfectly he, cool. He actively, yeah, actively avoids social media, which, as you said, is fine. Yeah, it's but, it's different, but it's not what maybe the sport yeah. would need. Hamilton has been the face of a sport that's been dragged, kicking and screaming into the social media, and like I said. He's up there with Steve Redgrave, Alistair Cook, Andy Murray, Chris Hoy, Lennox Lewis, Ronnie O'Sullivan, one of the like Nick Falvo was one of the one of the truly great British athletes of any era. And I, I I would say if any British guys are out here listening, appreciate this while you can. Because I don't think we're ever gonna get someone quite like him ever again. Lewis Hamilton yeah. is one of one. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say Formula One has a lot of very talented drivers, a lot of charismatic drivers, but they're just drivers. Lewis Hamilton is Formula One's only star. Yeah, I agree Let's with that. Not forget that. Let's not forget that any time soon. And the scary thing is, you say you haven't peaked yet. I, I don't think I have, but I mean, who the hell knows if they've peaked? Really, <laughs> in in all, all honesty, how are you going to know when you've? when you've hit that <laughs> um, but I, I, I do feel like I'm constantly learning more about myself I would say more so not only within the car but more so as a person I'm, I'm understanding myself more I'm understanding my good days my bad days what what makes me tick what uh, I do and I don't like what um, are necessary for success um, I feel like I'm more of a team player than I've ever been. Uh, I feel like I'm a better friend than I've ever been. And I like to think that I'm a better son than I've ever been as well. So, you know, just working on all those areas and I think you can always keep pushing, uh, always getting better, hopefully. Let's get into the news quickly before we get out of town for the week. And uh, (laughs) we got a big one this morning. Um, We've got- uh, should we roll it in? Because um, I know one of our one of our hosts wants to talk about. Well, do you want to talk about this race that happened in in Shanghai? Uh, yeah. Well, I think we start off about how there's apparently no burn bridges in sports car racing. Yeah, yeah. there are no burn bridges. Peugeot are coming back in twenty twenty two. Explicitly saying no, we're not coming back for multiple years. Said. Guess what, guys are coming back. <laughs> I think they kind of need it because uh, the race was kind of a bit of a mess, Cam. Uh, no, you know, y'all out there would expect me to be happier that Toyota didn't win a race. Yeah, especially <laughs> after all we kept talking about last year was that the WEC made Toyota has to win rules. Now yeah. it's the opposite. Yeah, and it's it's everyone. Everyone. Because... For this year in LMP1, obviously you still have the balance of the LMP1H, only Toyota, and the LMP1 That's Privateers. The Rebellion. That's the hybrids and the non-hybrids. Yep, the hybrids and the non-hybrids. <laughs> Instead of using, quote-unquote, balance of performance or equivalence of technology, they decided to still take... in the books. Yeah. They decided to take a page out of Super GT's playbook with GT500 and introduce success ballast. But you're thinking, right, that's awesome. They do it so well. Yeah. You know, they they hurt a team a little bit, but not too much. They still give them a chance to win. 
Basically, they took all of Toyota's straight line speedways so yeah, that they, they're they took only one abandoned. of the tires off the Toyota. They siphoned all the gas out of their fuel tank and they made them cart around an elephant chained to the back of the car. And they still finished second and third behind the one rebellion racing car of uh, of Norman Nato, who caused three different drivers and cars to pick up start go pedal driver <laughs> penalties. Yes, the, the start. light the light turned green, yet he refused to go until he was past the start finish line, and then said after the race, "Well, I'm the leader. I control when we go." And like the light was green. Yeah, you you control the start. To a point. Yeah, next that time cost. I pull up to a... Uh, when I pull up to a red light and it goes green, I'm going to wait for 10 seconds and say, well, I was the car leading the queue. I, I determine when we go. <laughs> that's a that's a, that's a a good way to make friends in traffic. So and yeah, three different way. cars picked up pit lane penalties. Toyota had no straight line speed. They were getting passed by P2 cars. Yeah, Toyota had were spending three to four laps stuck behind LMP2s. It was borderline unsafe how slow they were at the end of the straights versus their prototype uh, privateer brethren. Jesus. I mean, I get it, because all we kept talking about was how the WEC was supposedly gaming the system in their favor, gaming it so that Alonzo had a chance to win every time he stepped into a track. But this 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 just seems like a bit of an overreaction. This is really ham-fisted, and... Because it's, this is my bigger problem with it. It's per car. It's not per team. Now, that yeah, works so in the, GT500 because different teams prepare the different cars in a different way. Oftentimes, they'll have a different tire manufacturer. It's not one-to-one. Instead, every, at the end of every race, you have a guarantee of which car from a team will be faster at the next race because they are allowed to use more fuel. In the case of Toyota, allowed to use more of their hybrid system and carrying less weight. Yeah, and that's just dumb because then they just tailor the strategy around the car that's less handicapped. Exactly, and it's they're not trying to equalize the performance; they're trying to punish teams for being good. And there is a yeah, big difference. There's, there's a key difference, yeah, because. This was anything but equal performance. And you think, with, with Peugeot joining WEC and joining Hypercar, again, I asked the question that I asked on the first time I believe I was on this show. How the fuck are you going to balance hybrids, non-hybrids, non-hybrid production-based cars, hybrid-based production cars, grandfathered LMP1 privateers, well, Cam, that's the thing. They've got less than a year to figure it out because those regulations kick into effect 2020-21. You can't even balance hybrid to non-hybrid and naturally aspirated to turbo. What the fuck hope do you have of balancing that? <laughs> and if you're thinking the GT side of things was going to bring some clarity, well, it did for a while. Porsche got a 1-2 finish, but after that was after one of the A, of course, of Ferraris was disqualified from the race. Yep, R- ride height infringement, Ugh. slam dunk penalty, Porsche one two, and I'm not even happy about it. I'm just glad that my beloved Super GT champion Kenta Yamashita finished sixth in this race. Yep. That's my lone takeaway. Yeah, and I just I haven't seen a series fall from grace this quickly, and just I I don't understand what their thinking was with this with the success ballast system. Yes, you need to do something about Toyota because their car has an inherent advantage. But taking 2.7 seconds a lap from them, they're using less than half of their hybrid system. They're using significantly less fuel, 
while also not being allowed to carry as much fuel on board on the cars, and they're running them heavier. Right. You would have been better off telling Toyota, hey, redesign the car in the off-season, no hybrid, and then we'll get to hypercar, and you can bring back your hybrids. And it really feels like that. It really feels like... They, you know, like the ACO just doesn't care. They're like, when a hypercar comes around, maybe things will be fixed then. Right now, things are definitely not yeah, going like to fun. It's like they, they put in a <laughs> yeah. last-minute bandage solution, it's not working, and they're just, they're dying on this hill. And so is yeah. their series. Right. They're basically, they have a car that's breaking down, but they've saved enough money for a new car, so they don't care how many times their car stops on the side of the road, because they know they're getting a new car sometime soon. Yeah, until it strands yep. them at the side of the road and they get fired. It's like, we'll get there eventually, guys. We'll get there eventually. And this is also on the back of the news that uh, they want six entries for hypercar for manufacturers. Um, Aston Martin all might not be so well in the world of Aston Martin's hypercar project. Sorry, King. The chat, but I mean, Chatter's Lamar fantasy (laughs) is over. I mean, they got Toyota, so that's two in the bag. They just need four more. Yeah, yeah. Which they're listing three in the bag. Bye, callers. Hold your laughter. (laughs) Glickenhouse. Who knows. And the grandfathered LMP1 privateers. And with their target of a 3 minute 30 lap time, they're going to have to take 10 seconds off the P1 privateers. I'm going to put a parachute on the back of the LMP1. How about you run with three wheels? Will that help? <laughs> no? And, and then, it just keeps snowballing. I just wanted to end. <laughs> we all just wanted to end. And then, and then... LMP1 and LMP2 having to get crippled again after you made them faster in 2017. So, someone get calm before he sets his own set of shotguns on fire. Um, yeah. They're already on fire! <laughs> I'm happy for Menezes and Nato and Bruno Senna, who will leave Senna now becomes like the first driver to win in all three class of competition. All four. It's, it's great, but man, it's... I don't know, it's a mess. It's Uh, one thing to try and balance off cars that are too quick. It's another to artificially cripple them to the point where they are literally almost 30 miles per hour down in a straight line. It's ridiculous. Which is kind of what Mercedes fears will happen come 2021. Yeah, they're threatening to quit for the 115th time at the end of next season if these if if these current regulations go through. They won't. I wish I wish one like, I wish Chase Carey would come out one day and say, all right, go on then, quit. Like, we'll call, we'll call you a boss. Okay, yeah. Mercedes like, ain't going to quit F1 when they're making a net, what, 2 billion <laughs> euro profit every year? Yeah. Yeah, they're one of the few teams that makes a profit by being in Formula 1. Their F1 mainly. entry pays for itself years in advance every year. Yeah. They're not quitting. Plus, they've got... Plus, they've got customer engine deals lined up with McLaren come 2021 anyway. We're talking about pulling How out as a factory team. Yeah. Okay. But, like... That's different. Quit fucking whining. You're probably going to be the best in the next regulation set anyways. Right. Yep. Nonsense. Complete nonsense. They won't quit. To be fair, I'm only skipping over a couple of these stories we had in the news because you already mentioned them in the Hamilton section, i.e. Merck's quitting, i.e. F1 aiming to be carbon neutral by 2030. I'm trying to keep the show Actually, down I, I did bit. want to talk about the carbon neutral oh. bit because... <sighs> Shut the fuck up, boomers. It's a good thing. 
Yeah, you want to cut down on exotic fuels anyway. You want to try and make it. Well, more that's actually one of the things. That's one of the biggest uh, pieces of this. Going to plant-based biofuels, Formula One doing something that is actually really road relevant. Absolutely. Yeah, because as much as import as much as as it is important that we get as many people to transition to electric cars as possible. There are parts of the world where that's not feasible at the moment. Where you can't and it's not going to be feasible running an electric car. For at least a decade yeah. or two. And that is something that does trickle down. And the oil companies involved in F1, Petronas, Mobil, Shell, PTT, PTT and Castrol, all, they're all on board with this. Not for any good reasons. I mean, they want to be the first to this so they can make a profit. Of course. But I'd rather they be making a profit helping the planet rather than killing it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's no, a start. It's certainly a start, and I'm all for that. And other things, um, wanting the teams to run their factories and facilities on fully renewable energy, that's good. Cutting down on single-use plastics at the tracks, good. There is no downside to this. Look. This is objectively a good thing overall. I don't see why if anyone would be making legitimately, this. objectively good decisions. We should just be proud of them for that, right? Like I, I think a lot of the, a lot of the people that are against this don't understand what being carbon neutral. No, they is. just want to bring back the fucking V12s. <laughs> we, we, are, we are dealing with a very antiquated part of F1's audience that still believes that we should be all be gas guzzlers because that's the quote pinnacle of motorsport and technology when it just isn't. Look, remember everyone. Bi- everyone started bitching when the WEC overtook F1 on the technology race in 2012. Mm-hmm. F1 addressed it, and they've been bitching since. Can't please everybody. This is un- This is objectively a F1 good thing. F1 fans don't know what they want, and that's why you shouldn't listen to them Look. when it comes to engine regulations. Look, I'm just glad when I saw the Race Fans article that said Formula 1 is about to become Formula, Formula 0, I'm like, hell yes, we're in the timeline where F0 is real. <laughs> Sign me the fuck up. <laughs> Bring on the wipeout. Bring on the F0. Bring it all on. Bring it all on. I want a story mode, damn it. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I want to save Jody in a giant sewer pipe and get out in 30 seconds. It's going to be great. Um, so, yeah, F1 going carbon neutral by 2030, hopefully. It's a big challenge. I'm all for it. They have very, they have a lot of very, very smart people back there. I'm sure they'll beat their heads together and figure it out. Um, quick bit of MotoGP news real quick. Um, Icon Aquona will be making his MotoGP debut a little bit earlier than expected, i.e. this weekend. Miguel Oliveira is... Uh, Calling his season quits early to get uh, some... Uh, oh, he already... Yeah, he had... Um, yeah. I don't know if he's had already, but he's having shoulder surgery as a result of the yeah. injury sustained in Phillip Island. Yeah, it's it's been niggling since he was literally blown off his bike at Phillip Island under, under their awful weather conditions there. Um, he's having sh- um, surgery on his shoulder uh, so he can get a fresh off-season in. Ike Laquona will be coming straight up uh, from Moto2 to make his debut... Um, with the uh, Tech Free team this weekend. He becomes just the fourth teenager to ever race a top flight race 
um, in Mo- in the MotoGP class. I can't remember who the other. F- <sighs> I Good think luck. Ma- I think Mikel for I think Michele Fabrizio's is one of them, and I can't remember who the other two are. Um, um, I'll get back to you on that one. But uh, yeah, but Marquez had already turned he, twenty. He turned right? twenty, and they bent the rules to get him in in the first place because the, the the limit back then was twenty one. Um, I can't remember who the other two teenagers who raced in the GP were. I will get back to you on that one. Um, but uh, yeah. Also in other news, like Camino Esperalto in, in minor bitch in detail, kind of wants Lorenzo to quit Honda, saying that it's it, it's sad seeing a rider of his reputation and quality down finishing in nineteenth place. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Lorenzo to ride literally anything other than that Honda because they want him at the top. He's he's popular and well liked, and uh, they don't want to see him finish outside of the points constantly. Good luck with that, basically. Um, you made your bed, now lay in it. Um, so quite frankly. More on this story in the next episode of Motorsport 101. Um, also, out of GP, uh, we, got the, we, we, we have an agreement for a round in Hungary in 2022. This is not the Hungaro ring. Um, not Magyar Nagadic. Yes, this, this is the track that... Uh, was supposed to be constructed a long time 2008. ago. 2008. How long ago? Uh, <laughs> that long ago. 11 years ago. Back back when Gabor Tomasi, the man responsible for this push, was still actively riding. Yeah, a year after he just oh, won the Lord. 125cc World Championship. Yeah, that was still a thing back then. I think I just felt my joints lock up. Ugh. I feel old just thinking about it. But, uh, yeah, they're building that track again. They they tried to build it in two, for 2008. They couldn't happen because it happened right in front of the massive worldwide credit crunch and recession that happened, after, that happened at the time. And the track fell into money problems. What a surprise. Hopefully it goes a little bit better than the Circuit of Wales agreement did. Good luck with that, fellas. Um, again, it's it's all part of MotoGP's big global expansion. They, they've, they've made it quite clear. They want 22 rounds on the calendar by 2022. Um, I, and only one race in Spain. Yeah, good, again, like I say, good luck with that because you're going to end It's okay. Up- it's just Mark Marquez opening up new homes across the globe. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, and he, it's going to break the field if he keeps that up. Quite if they keep that up, because we're already seeing guys pull out of races before the year's even done through niggling injuries with a 19 race calendar. How the hell are you? Yeah, on the current bikes at the current speeds, it's just too physically demanding. Yeah, either have drop rounds or make your calendar smaller, not bigger. Drop rounds, drop rounds, drop rounds. <laughs> oh God. <sighs> So yeah, have fun with that, guys. Um, and one like one other bit of F1 news, it's a minor one. Charles Leclerc will be taking a 10-place grid penalty in the Brazilian Grand Prix this weekend. He has taken a power unit replacement. Yeah, um, rumors, rumors swirling that it's a 2020 prototype engine. Pit lane start, everybody. Uh, Woo! I, I don't know about that one. He'll geez. still finish top six in Brazil. Uh, what's our expectations for Brazil? Beat him down by Lewis Hamilton. Um, Ferrari yeah. qualifies 1-2, runs 1-2, and then chokes the race away. Yeah. Doesn't even finish on the podium. Pretty much. Max Verstappen will have another spectacular race in Brazil and probably not win it. Sounds good. At least this time he doesn't have a chance also, to run Esteban Ocon off the road and ruin his own race. Also this weekend, another big race from a part of the world that speaks Portuguese. Macau oh, Grand Prix. Oh, now God. with DRS. 
<laughs> now with faster cars and now with added did we, yeah, added danger to the race that added had a danger. car leave the racing surface and hit a photographer <laughs> booth last year. Added danger to a race where racing here on superbikes is arguably more dangerous than the Isle of Goddamn Man. Yep. <laughs> oh, Lord. And yes, all your favorites are back. Yes, Dan Tictum is back to try to attempt a hat trick. Hashtag yes, hat trick-tum. Gets out. <laughs> hat trick-tum. Yes, Sophia Flores is back. Uh, yes, Ferdinand Habsburg is back. And all the stars of International Formula 3 are here to try to give us an entertaining show in Macau. Spoiler, Schwartzman wins lol. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Hit for it. Don't let Tictum repeat. <laughs> It's the only thing. It's the only thing keeping his mess of a career going. Also, please let the bike riders get home safe, and please don't let the GT World Cup end in a fifteen-car pileup. And there is millions and millions and millions of dollars in damage there. I love it. You love. Oh Jesus Christ! Also, it's NASCAR Championship finale. Oh shit! It is. And all the um, olds. All you need to know is it's Hamlin. V. Kyle Busch, V. Kevin Harvick, V. Martin Truex. Joe Gibbs Racing has a 50% win rate on the year, which is insane in NASCAR. The youngest person in this pack is 35-year-old Kyle Busch. (laughs) For God's sake. And I could have took him out of the championship early. Fuck your youth movement, NASCAR. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what happens when Chase Elliott has a tire go down and an engine failure and an axle failure. The olds are here. And, um, yeah, Homestead. It's always good. Watch it. It's like the only mile and a half track for NASCAR worth a damn. Yeah, it's it's the it's the last time that the championship finale will be at Homestead. Yeah, the reason why we're not talking about Phoenix. It sucked. <laughs> it sucked why are bad. you making it it's gonna be the, the fi- championship finale? <laughs> you fools. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse than IndyCar's finale being Sonoma. It's worse! <laughs> it is unequivocally worse. Oh, We've also got MotoGP season finale this weekend at Valencia as well. Rumors have been swirling for a little while, but it finally happened in IMSA. Mazda fired everybody. Mazda fired Team uh, Yost. They're divorcing at the end of the 2020... The end of the 2020 12 Hours of Sabring due to the start of the fiscal yes. year and also something in their contract about a Six months notice, yes. which isn't going to be met, but whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, so over the past year or so, Mazda has been increasingly frustrated with their lack of results. Maybe you should get engines that last longer than nine hours, dumbasses. Mm. And uh, they've been consistently taking more and more of Yost's influence out of the team and replacing them with Multimatic personnel. And it looks like they're going all in on that. Yeah, it's assumed that Multimatic will become the factory team. Yeah, considering they build the cars, develop the cars, and at this point, run the cars. Deep and keep in mind, side. this is the Team Yoast that won Le Mans in 84, 85, 94, 96, 97, and so on. Yeah, the backbone of the Audi dynasty at Le Mans. Yeah. You're going to get rid of that? Yeah, you're going to get rid of that. but okay. um, Mazda would be in a whole lot more position to challenge for a championship if the exhaust valves weren't getting too friendly with the Pistons at Daytona every fucking year. 
Fry active, anybody? <laughs> Fry active. <laughs> oh, there's a lot going on this weekend. We're finally going to tie a bow on this MotoGP season. Yeah. Last F1 race is coming up. I think the I only the real question end. is, does Mark Marquez break the points per race record? Yes. yes. Next question. Yes, next question. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Probably with a win. Probably. Don't play games with Quartararo this time. Yeah. Don't D- just beat still. his ass in the race instead. Can't pass the Valencia anyway, so probably just leave it likes to flag. Um, let's have fun with that. Um, and that. Good will... thing that Honda's a rocket in a straight line. True. It helps. Right. We've been on just over two hours. It's time to get out of, out of Dodge on this one. Basically, you can find us one more time. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Facebook forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter. Uh, at uh, motorsport underscore 101 our personal handles at harrison 101 hd at rj o'connell at ryan eric king and at c buckley 917 you can back us financially on patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five dollars gets you early access to all of our shows ten dollars also gets you into the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they go out and interact with us the hosts shout out to our friend and yours the shuckle jason poland vince um we have James in here still and Vic thanks for guys for listening in. I hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight uh, much appreciated for you sticking around as always and you can check out all of my written stuff in the last month of November all the way over at motorsport101.com and the blog peace on Hamilton peace on James Hinchcliffe play um, there's a brand new piece or ask me anything on there as well it's a fun time um, go check it out if you haven't already um, big thanks everyone for you guys for listening we'll be back next week to for a stacked episode on the Brazilian Grand Prix the MotoGP season finale at Valencia Macau and probably a whole lot more as well I've been Andre Harrison they've been RJ O'Connell Ryan King and Cam Buckley thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next time sayonara still we rise y'all man Aston don't let me down like this Martin Truex Jr. Super License Hype! <laughs> oh, God, yeah. If Martin Truex Jr. finishes... If Martin Truex Jr. wins the championship, he'll have an FIA Super Fuck License. Fuck yeah! Oh, my God, you gotta help us So all. that's why Williams were delaying their proper decision. <laughs> <laughs> because that's exactly what this team needs to turn themselves around. A guy from New Jersey is about to turn 40 next year. <laughs>